0: Welcome to this episode of the Insights
1: Podcast
0: on the Huddle Network. I'm Don Mills.
1: And I'm David Campbell.
0: David, today we have a very interesting topic for for people. Uh, It's Spaceport Nova Scotia, something that I believe most people are probably skeptical about, Uh, but uh, based on the conversation that we had with our CEO, Steve Mateer, uh, it
1: looks like a reality, doesn't it? It really does. And this would be the first one in Canada. And I think that skepticism is kind of merited because we have seen some big projects proposed for Guysborough County, like the big LNG export terminal and so on. But this one, I think, uh, listeners will see, is uh, seems to be pretty uh, in pretty good shape.
0: Well, it's quite far along, uh, especially in the approval process, which is the big challenge for projects like this. You know, there's been uh, you know uh, regulatory approval. Uh, uh, at most levels already. The environmental studies have been completed. Uh, they're, uh, I think they're, they're getting close to the construction phase of the project, which uh, according to the CEO uh, will cost $150 million. And I can, I can tell you in that part of Nova Scotia, which is really economically challenged, that is going to be an enormous investment uh, for that county.
1: That's right. And he talked about the potential to build a cluster, out what he called outside the fence. And that's, you know, companies doing maintenance and, and repair work and actually building components and doing all kinds of services to support the spaceport, but also tourism. Uh, and it is true. If you think about Cape Canaveral in, uh, in Florida, people line up, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people, thousands in some cases, just to watch these launches. They're very, very impressive. These big rockets as they go up into the air. So I think there's an onus on the economic development folks in Nova Scotia, uh, in Guysborough County, but also NSBI to be working on those associated economic opportunities that could be built around the spaceport.
0: And, you know, that's a big challenge that we have across the region. Uh, you know, we don't see the opportunity that some of these larger initiatives bring. Uh, I've always talked about Michelin as a good example of that. Here's, you know, a major, major manufacturing uh facility in three locations in Nova Scotia there's been little effort to try to attract suppliers to that company to the province it's a really big missed opportunity a further challenge however for Guysborough is that it's the oldest it's the oldest population in Nova Scotia by a, a long margin it's got a very small workforce Uh, it's geographically at the end of the road. Uh, So, uh, you know, the labor uh, requirements for this project and any others that come with it, I think will be uh, extra challenging for Spaceport.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. They need a very strong workforce development plan, but I'm pretty confident if you look at the Nova Scotia community campus in the area and, and the University of St. FX you know, working with them to try and turn out talent for this opportunity, and at the end of the day, these are going to be for the most part good-paying jobs. And so, uh, yeah, there's just going to have to be the development of a solid workforce development plan. It may require attraction of immigrants, uh, but he was talking about folks graduating across the country with aerospace expertise that could be attracted to some of the jobs, the operator jobs, and so on. So that is, you are right to raise that because whenever you're talking about rural projects like this that are, you know, several hours from an urban center, uh, that can be a challenge. And, you know,
0: uh, I know this area quite well. Uh, my mother was born in uh, and raised in Whitehead, Nova Scotia, which is just down the road for Cancel. It's, it's spectacularly beautiful. And as a place to live and work with a good job, it's, uh, you know, it's It's pretty attractive, I must say. So, uh, you know, I don't think uh, if you're looking for a quality of life, that is not a bad place to be uh, for sure. But they've suffered for decades of out migration of their young people. Uh, Steve mentioned something interesting that he was speaking uh, with the high school students, which I think is a good place to start to maybe, uh, you know, remind people that there will be economic opportunity by staying in the community. And retaining their youth is is something that will help eventually maybe turn around their population decline in in that part of the province
1: he said they looked all across north america and the Kanso area was the best site for this when you consider all of the factors so that is you know economic development based on a very specific geographic attribute or set of attributes so that's a testament to canso uh, and he also got early support from the Fisherman's, uh Association and other local partners. So there seems to be quite a bit of goodwill uh, related to this project. And uh, and yeah, so I think that everything has been lined up so far. And I think the, outlook's pretty, look, the outlook is pretty good for this one.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm personally excited by this opportunity for that area of the province. And you know, I also think, we haven't talked about this, but <clears throat> the LNG opportunity, which seems to have come and gone, looks like it may be back on the... Uh, burner again. So maybe there's uh, maybe there's a real future for, for this part of the province uh, going forward. At least I hope so, because uh, I still actually have relatives in that area and I, I want them to be
1: uh, successful. So Guysborough County has had one of the weakest performing economies across the country uh, in the past 20 years. Uh, Antigonish has done a little better, but Guysborough has really, really suffered. Uh, and there's a number of potential mining projects. There's an LNG project that was on again, off again. Uh, And now we have the spaceport. So hopefully, you know, this and some of the other projects on the docket could go ahead because that part of Nova Scotia has suffered uh, quite a bit in recent years.
0: Yeah, we asked him the hard question, you know, given all the promises that have been made in that area over the years, how real is this project? He basically said it's not if, but when. So I take that to mean that you know there's a very high likelihood that this will actually go ahead. And uh, we're going to know pretty soon because the timetable is that they're going to have their first major launch, I, I think, uh, towards the end of 2023, I think he said, or maybe early 2024. It's not that far away. So we'll know very shortly if this is a go or not. So uh, with that introduction, uh, here is our... Very interesting conversation with Steve Matir, the CEO of Maritime Launch Services. We are pleased to be joined on this episode of the Insights Podcast by Stephen Matier, the founder and CEO of Maritime Launch Services and the company behind Spaceport Nova Scotia project near Canso Nova Scotia. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much.
1: Glad to be here. So, Stephen, before we find out more about the Spaceport project, we would like to begin by finding out more about your own background. Can you tell us a little bit about your path to your current role as CEO of Maritime Launch Services?
2: Yeah, so um, I have been 32 years in the industry, aerospace industry. You began my career at the NASA White Sands Test Facility working on the space shuttle program back in 1989 as an engineering manager leading teams in the development and test uh, space shuttle hardware uh, repair. Space, space shuttle hardware uh, was the recipient of a uh, NASA Silver Snoopy Award, as an astronaut award, as well as a, man, a space flight awareness award. Very thrilled with that career opportunity for about 16 years, and I branched out from there, working on FAA licensing for spaceports. Began with Spaceport America in New Mexico, where I where I uh, grew up. And it's from there working on a number of spaceport activities that the opportunity to become a CEO for Maritime Launch came up. In 2016, I was hired to do a study to look at a number of locations around North America where an appropriate location for a spaceport could work, looking at, you know, what the site is, what the range of trajectories are, those kinds of things. And it was that effort really that got us kicked off with the the start of Spaceport Nova Scotia.
0: Many people, including me, I have to confess, probably thought the idea of a spaceport in Nova Scotia when first announced was far-fetched, especially in a community that's largely a fishing community. (laughs) Can you tell our listeners why a spaceport in Nova Scotia makes sense and why Cancel was selected as the site of the first spaceport in Canada? The industry's
2: changed. We've gone uh, significantly away from geosynchronous orbits, 20,000, 30,000 kilometers away from the Earth, circling, circling, circling around the equator, and are now really looking at sun synchronous and, and other inclinations that serve constellations uh, of satellites in low Earth orbit. So we're, you know, 1,000 kilometers out with multiple satellites. Uh, that are doing near-earth imaging, global broadband and those kinds of things. So it's really that change in that industry since the last uh, shuttle uh, uh, in 2011 that has really opened the door for looking at alternative launch locations. Typically they've always been equatorial. So when I was uh, tasked uh, uh, in 2016 to start looking for locations I was looking all over North America. I was on a beach in Chiapas, Mexico. I was looking at locations in uh, uh, other parts of Canada, in the U.S., Hawaii, California, etc., and ended up uh, centering on this location here. The, the reason it's in Nova Scotia, and more specifically is in Canso, is there's a large tract of land. It's very much further uh, away from any populated communities. Uh, it's adjacent to the ocean. Uh, with ocean in the direction that people want to put their satellites in. The, the people of Canso describe their, their, their location as not the end of the Earth, but you can see it from there. And that's really the answer I give people when they say why Canso is because that's, that's what you need. You know, first stages, a drop in the ocean, 1,000 kilometers down south, uh, that sort of thing. So we serve a polar orbit to a 45-degree inclination and there's a lot of interest from our satellite community.
0: That's a bit funny. I actually have relatives in that uh, area, and uh, we often refer to it as the end of the earth, but a good, a good view of it uh, as well. That's very funny. Uh, you're the founder of Maritime Launch Services, and um, I want to find out how long you've been working on this project and how have you financed this project to date?
2: Uh, How I worked on it was initially doing this study, looking for locations that I'd mentioned earlier in 2016, um, and coming to the site, meeting with the community, holding an open house, finally making that selection in March of 2017 as the best location of the 14 or so different places uh, that that I was uh, considering for the spaceport development. And uh, the second part of your question, I apologize.
0: Well, just that, you know, how have you been able to finance the work that has been done to date?
2: Uh, A whole lot of sweat equity. You know, I was the one to do the study to find the site, and then I was the one to open the company and find the first seed investor. Uh, That first seed investor came from, was uh, one of the fellow directors at the time back then, and it was basically bootstrapping it from there, working to get the environmental assessment underway in the focus report, uh, working with the team members. And since then, we've added, you know, strategic investors with uh, like Lindsay Construction here, our construction management company, Nova Construction. They're doing our civil work for us. They became early investors along the way. And it's been that piecewise uh, momentum to build up and de-risk the program before we are able to really get that entry into the the Bay Street area and and get that interest in place and since then we've we've done very well in the last year with uh, close to $20 million of investment that has really allowed us to uh, significantly ramp up our operations.
1: So Maritime Launch Services was recently listed as a publicly traded company on the NEO uh, exchange. What was behind your decision to become publicly listed?
2: Access to investors is, is really the upshot of it. Um, it has been very beneficial for us in that regard. Certainly, uh, investors do prefer liquidity, etc. Et um, most of the investors today certainly have come from Nova Scotia. When you look at what has happened since the listing, I found that to be an interesting uh, uh, fact uh, over over the last couple of months to to see and witness. It really speaks to that real. Uh, support within the province for this. So that the, definitely the retail investors are coming from here and across Canada.
1: I wasn't familiar with the NEO Exchange. It seems to be relatively new and designed for innovative companies seeking investors. Why did you choose this specific exchange to help raise funds for your company?
2: Well, exactly that. New, they're kind of like us in the 2016, 2017. They're welcoming of, of innovative companies like us Uh, They are really client-focused, which we are for our satellite clients as well. It was just a hand-in-glove fit for us to really go with the NEL.
0: It's our understanding that you have the necessary government approvals to proceed with the actual development of the site. Where are you in the process, and what is your timetable uh, to your first launch of a satellite, Steve?
2: We are working with the province of Nova Scotia to complete the final pieces to get major construction activities underway. We did get our environmental assessment approved in 2019. We've got a letter of offer in 2020 for the crown land that we've requested the 334 acres on and really looking at those and have been feeding Uh, all those pieces of documents, you know, appraisals and management plans and bird studies. I think we've done 60 different uh, uh, levels of bird studies over the last couple of years, a few years, uh, trying to get all those pieces uh, uh, ticked off so we can get the major construction activities started this summer. From there, we are working with the federal government as well. Transport Canada is the overall regulatory body for rocket launch from Canada. Uh, they are working through their existing uh, uh, legislation or uh, uh, regulatory approval process to kind of bring it uh, forward from suborbital launches from decades ago. Uh, and so that's a very much a collaborative opportunity working with them to develop this together. The idea behind that collaboration then really feeds us doing this phased approach where we bring in a suborbital launcher, of a Canadian launcher, a Canadian uh, experiment at a Canadian launch site uh, middle of next year to be able to successfully demonstrate some of that flight heritage, work through those a lot of those processes before we add on you know technologies from other countries and satellites, etc., and and potentially launch vehicles from other countries, you know, i.e. the uh, the Cyclone 4M or, or others that have approached us, uh, or, you know, that we're working with as suppliers. So it's that, fa- that phased approach would get us a suborbital launch, middle of next year, uh, an a orbital launch uh, by the end of next year or early into the following year of a small launcher, and then working towards the medium class launch uh, by the end of 2024. So it's an important point for us. The constellation market is really our focus. That's where people are wanting to put 30, 40, 50 satellites at a time into orbit or if they're larger, you know, less than that. But there's plenty of of, of opportunity out there for launch vehicles and launch sites to to launch uh, small launchers, you know, 150 kilogram payloads kinds of things. But that frequency of launch is not going to be able to meet the, the demand out there. I would point to the FCC uh, uh, last November, they closed the filing deadline and I think there were eight companies that submitted 37,000 additional satellites that they want to put into orbit. Those That speaks to eight companies, 37,000, that speaks to that constellation market. And that is really where we think the medium class launch vehicle is destined for, for Canada to support that market.
0: Uh, recent public uh, opinion polling indicates strong public support for the spaceport, especially in the communities around the site uh, in Cancel. Well, with those supporting this initiative, initiative citing the positive economic impacts associated with this project, we'd like to better understand the economic impact for at least Guysborough County and perhaps the province that would be created by the spaceport. How much capital will be spent, for for an example, in the construction phase?
2: The construction phase alone, just for the facility itself, is in excess of $150 million. Uh, That's to build the facility and the specialty support equipment that will reside in Canso and, and support this initiative and then some additional funding for the launch vehicle development component. From there... You know, the operations and jobs that, that will come during operations is, is the other aspect of it. And, and, you know, we will have a fully staffed fire department with emergency response capability, uh, which will staff a 24-7, 365 uh, fire station and security workforce will have a general uh, support uh, staff running the operations for the facility technical staff that will be running operations for the facility. And then during a launch campaign of about eight weeks or so, times eight launches a year, uh, we'll have crews that will be coming in with the satellites and crews that will be coming in with the launch vehicle and providing the touch touch labor for handling the launch vehicles. At that point, then we've got that significant economic development outside the facility as well, where you've got... To host this community of people that are coming in for each rocket launch, and then all the hundreds, if not thousands, of people that will be showing up to watch rocket launches from Canada. So the tourism aspects of the thing are really quite broad. It's typical when you go to a rocket launch in Florida, etc. You're not going for 24 hours. Um, you're going to go for a week or two and make a stay of it. So people that come to the province will, you know, fly into Halifax. Uh, go up to Kanso and then start looking for opportunities of things that they want to do. And that's where the entirety of Atlantic Canada is really going to see the opportunities that will grow out of that. Uh, not just in Kanso, not just in Guysboro, Cape Breton, uh, the whale watching. I've, I've been, In my four years here, I've become quite the uh, uh, advocate for Nova Scotia and, and, and the beauty and things that it has to offer for, for tourists coming here. I think I've seen... More than most people, I think, uh, uh, over my years that, that have lived here their whole lives. So the economic development opportunities are significant. Now, then, you've got a, a, a anchor tenancy. Outside any anchor tenancy, whether it's shipbuilding like uh, here in Halifax, then you're going to have that opportunity where satellite companies are building up around you machining, parts supplies, materials that are needed to operate the spaceport. Uh, People that are building their satellites want to build them close to where they're launched from. They want to test them here. We've already got a new company that just uh, started up here this past year uh, here in Halifax uh, that is building a constellation of satellites that will be launching with us. So then there's that whole component uh, that happens around uh, an anchor tenancy like this uh, in a rural part of Canada that really is hard to gauge how far and wide this can this can grow to, but it, it will certainly be significant.
1: So, can you tell us who the customers are? So, you 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 say there's going to be roughly eight flights per year, but who who are the customers?
2: At, at this point, we will be making formal announcements and agreements with them. They're under a non-disclosure agreements. What I can tell you is that there's uh, quite a number of them that are constellation developers. There's also quite a number of them that are aggregators. Uh, that pull together uh, uh, CubeSats, for example, into, into deployers uh, that want to buy entire missions or buy rideshares from us as well. We do have NanoRacks identified as our first launch partner that was announced last year. Uh, they've got a technology demonstration that they want to do, and they're going to support us with the mission integration uh, for the rest of our, our first launch payload. I'm very excited about that opportunity.
1: So it's probably unfair to ask you if Elon Musk will be uh, involved with your spaceport.
2: Um, It would be unfair.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you talked a lot about the types of jobs, uh, fire department, security, operations, technical, uh, and so on, as well as the, the surge in jobs required during the launch itself. Do you have any sort of economic impact numbers around that? Is it is it you know are we looking at millions of dollars in economic activity? Do you have any sense of that?
2: I can only provide sort of gauges to it, you know. And and let me put it this way: I'm from Albuquerque area, and and every episode of Breaking Bad generated well over a million dollars in tourism opportunity just from each episode being filmed there over multiple years so if you look at that from a launch perspective and the opportunity the outflow from that in, in a comparative to a rocket launch uh, which is going to have a lot more of a tourism draw to it not just the economic impact of, of the event happening itself it is going to be really quite significant
1: you talked about this cluster potentially evolving around the site i think that's very very exciting i guess the question for you though is who's actually working on that is that are you partnering with, say, Nova Scotia Business Inc or who uh, is that sort of just sort of evolve organically or do you actually have partners like like the economic development agencies actually going out and trying to convince these companies to set up around the spaceport?
2: Nova Scotia Business Inc has been an advocate and supporter for us for a number of years, for sure, since our inception. And we're working with the Minister for Economic Development in the province as well. Uh, local development groups like deans, et cetera, uh, to basically outline what that potential and that opportunity is at the end of it. And, and, and even the Guidesboro municipality, uh, the Buck and Keck there, what they're doing, for example, with the Bayside economic development. Uh, so we're collaborating in a number of ways to make people aware of it, but recognize that what we need to focus on is what's going on, quote unquote, inside the fence uh, to make sure that we do that right, and safely such that the stuff outside the fence will take care of itself.
0: You talked again, uh, just to get back to the full-time jobs that are created, Uh, it's a pretty thin labor pool, as you know, in the Cancel area. It's a very uh, older population, not a lot of young people left in the Cancel area for sure. So attracting workers to that area uh, obviously is something that you've already thought about, I'm sure. Uh, do you anticipate any issues in terms of attracting labor to uh, the Guysboro uh, site?
2: It'll be a piece of development for us going forward for sure, and it it's something we're very much working with Nova Scotia Community College, uh, uh, St. Francis Xavier University, Dalhousie, etc., on what the opportunity is, internships, uh, etc., to help grow a workforce. There is a fire academy, of course, that we can. Uh, train and, and, and work people through as well. The I have been up in the community of Kanso. actually scheduled to go up there next week as well, uh, doing some uh, in the school, working with the classes, helping them uh, learn about what we're doing. They're very excited about what, and, and have a lot of great questions about what we're doing going forward. And I think there's a lot of folks that are really looking at that opportunity. We've also had a whole lot of people that, that have reached out that want to, come home, basically, people that uh, have lived or grown up in Halifax or in Nova Scotia or even in Canso, frankly, uh, that want to come home. One guy uh, was, was in Vancouver working the satellite industry for an unnamed company uh, that is desperate to come back home and be a part of something like this. So there, this has a natural attraction to it because it is truly heady stuff.
0: I just want to uh, turn a, a little bit to your uh, mention about the opportunity associated with the tourism aspect of the launches. They're going to be. Uh, you're limiting the number of launches to only eight a year. I'm interested why that. Why that? That given the, the likely demand, why only eight a year? But, but in terms of the economic impact of uh, tourism, one of the challenges, as you know, in that area, there's very little tourism accommodation very little. And so um, I'm just trying to, I'm, I'm looking at the math, <laughs> Steve, you know, uh, a limited number of uh, flights mean a limited number of opportunities for um, tourists to s- see a, uh, a launch. And, and then you have the challenge of where do you put them when they come?
2: Well, we have been reached out to by a number of hoteliers that are really very interested in doing stuff up there. They're waiting for that as uh, our investors and everything else for that that trip of the wire, you know, start started construction activities. And I think it'll take on a life of its own. It's already begun in Canso. They're seeing all the geotech work and the trucks coming through uh, with the geotech program underway and everything else. They're sensing that the timing is there. Uh, there has certainly been a lot of interest in, in that kind of community to expand on that capability. And then the reason we went with eight launches per year is is. We wanted to be realistic. Uh, the idea is you ramp up eight launches per year with a medium class launch vehicle. If there's eight launches and it's an eight week campaign, that's pretty close to a, you know 50 to 60 weeks of, of activity. Speaking to that, we can ramp up that tempo to about 12 of a medium class launcher. We can add to it with small launchers as well and, and increase, increase that, that frequency. But we don't want to be overstating what we're going to be doing. There are a number of folks out there talking about doing hundreds of flights per year. Whether it's well, I won't name the companies that are talking about these kinds of uh, launch frequencies and tempos that we find hard to believe. Let's put it this way: I, I'm in the Richard Feynman physics-based world that, that that there's 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 real things that have to happen for rocket launches, logistics, and materials and personnel and everything else and being realistic about that ramp up to a launch tempo uh, for me was very important to to bring to the equation and make sure that we are are communicating that this is uh, a solid foundation that then we can grow and expand on. Once the community has seen that and realize what that kind of impact is, uh, whether they wanna embrace more, but that's at that point, go back to the community first. Uh, and, And this started with the community uh, working with the Fisheries Association, the municipality, uh, holding an open house even before we selected the site. It was their embrace that really made this happen. And so we owe it to them to, to stick to that. And our financial model works fine with the eight launches per year. Uh, and and then let's get to that success first. Then we can see whether there's an interest and appetite
0: for more. Uh, I- Among the very few opposed, and there's not a lot opposed based on the public opinion research that you've done, environmental concerns are cited as the major major reason for that opposition. Uh, Can you just tell us a little bit about the likely impact on the environment of the spaceport? The
2: rocket launch industry is pretty mature. It's been around since the late 50s, and if you look at Cape Canaveral, it's nested into the Merritt Island National Wildlife Refuge. Uh, you, know, you look at the places that have people have been building and operating uh, launch sites for many, many decades, uh, there is a peaceful coexistence between the environment and the rocket launches. That's not to say that there isn't potential and engineering controls and planning uh, for all kinds of contingencies goes you know has to happen, of course. Uh, but recognize that it is a mature industry. It has been around for a long time. That was the idea behind the Cyclone 4M is to bring some heritage technology that has proven uh, hardware in its past over many, many decades uh, instead of a brand new launcher uh, with with, with no real history to it. So the idea is to uh, find that technically mature uh, launch vehicle and then consider the environment in every aspect from, you know, engineering controls and safety protocols. And it's straight out of my shuttle background. I, I did that for, for 16 years for NASA, working with ha- hazardous fluids on the space shuttle program using the same hypergolic propellants, for example, and how you use control and control and operate those are, are very important to, uh, to do safely. And I think it can be very well done safely.
1: Steve, the province has committed to reduce its carbon emissions. I suspect this facility even though there's only eight launches is a fairly significant carbon emitter at least in the you know in the short term. Have you done any modeling around that? Is that causing any concerns at the province in terms of uh, carbon emissions as a result of all that fuel burn?
2: Well we are certainly looking at even the construction of the facility being environmentally considerate, right We're adjacent to a wind farm we're looking at battery storage, we're looking at solar, uh, those kinds of opportunities to really make our carbon footprint at the outset, uh, not like some of the launch facilities. Uh, at the end of the day, the LOX kerosene first stages uh, got carbon dioxide, carbon monoxide as, as uh, uh, you know, exhaust. And those are looked at somewhat differently than aircraft because we've got oxygen uh, that's promoting combustion. The kerosene is a, is a high-grade uh, a factor of 10 less sulfur, which is the main pollutant in, in, uh, in the hydro, hydrocarbon fuels. Uh, so overall, they're, they're relatively considered green propellants, and they're certainly going to be significantly less of an impact than, than, say, Stanfield Airport on a day-in, day-out
1: basis. So is there any concerns related to safety on the site? I mean, you've, you've, you've got you know, explosions, you've got potential for debris, what is the record sort of globally around these types of spaceports? Are there any real safety concerns?
2: Safety is always a concern and always planned for. Well, the very first thing I did, even looking at the site, was to do a safety analysis to look at the, the where the launch pad's going to be, look at the maximum propellants uh, that potentially could be in a larger launch vehicle like this, look at what an explosion would look like at the ground or, or leaving the ground. Uh, and what that fragment distance or blast overpressure is associated with that, and it was only because we really passed that hurdle uh, in the distance from any nearby community uh, that we even went forward with the idea. So we've got, to, and and then I took that same uh, um, site planning. And I coordinated and collaborated with Transport Canada. They brought in Canadian Space Agency as well and they went through my document with a fine-tooth comb. Uh, We uh, added to the safety factors that we uh, had used originally based on their input and produced a document that that was completely acceptable to the safety division of Transport Canada. So from a relative safety, yes, control of public access will be important. Uh, but we have plenty of uh, distance away from any, any uh, community centers, for sure.
1: You have established a community liaison committee in Canso as part of the initiative. What was the motivation behind that committee? Was it a government requirement? And uh, how is that committee operating these days?
2: In, it, it, at the end of the day, it is a requirement. But also, it really is how I started this project anyway. Going to the community, working with them. Holding that open house, working, presenting to the municipality of Guysborough Council, uh, making sure that there was a full understanding of this thing. It's about being open about everything that you're doing, what the potential failures are, what the potential wins are. And, and it, was, it was through that process that it was an easy thing to go ahead and populate a CLC, to have uh, direct community feedback into it. Uh, you know, our population of, of CLC includes a former mayor, council members, uh, lobster fishermen, uh, members from the hospital, the schools, uh, regular, just, just the people of the community fully representing uh, that community and communicating to them and getting the tough questions back to me. And getting those tough questions has been the fun part for me because I like getting those. I like answering the questions. It's the people that shut down and don't even ask any questions that make it hard.
0: Interestingly, you have indicated that you'll be using the Cyclone 4M launch vehicle that is uh, produced in Ukraine by aerospace aerospace firms, Usnoid and Ushmash, if I pronounce those properly. One is a design firm and the other one's a manufacturing firm um also interesting you've been personally added to the list of those banned from travel to russia as a result of your association with these companies first of all why did you choose this particular launch vehicle and what concerns do you have about supply chain reliability given the war in ukraine Picking them
2: was easy at the outset. That goes to the 32 years that I've been in this industry doing this work. Uh, It speaks to the technical competency and capabilities that they have. They've been around for 70 years. Uh, The Cyclone 4 family of rockets, the Cyclone 2, the Cyclone 3, uh, have flown 228 times, 224 of them successfully. And so when you're looking at that capability and heritage and skills, they're better than SpaceX. They're better than anybody else on the planet as far as having that history and capability. So the Cyclone 4M is an upgrade to the Cyclone 2 and the Cyclone 3 family with that upper stage fully complete and ready ready to go for production, already tested. And so we're doing some modifications to the first stage, Uh, bringing in some Ukrainian engines instead of uh, other Russian technology from previous uh, versions to make it a 100% Ukrainian rocket. It's exactly the same first-stage core uh, as the Antares rocket. Uh, They produce and provide that to Norfolk Grumman that goes to the International Space Station, Uh, except that the Norfolk Grumman vehicle has uh, two Russian engines in it. So we're basically mapping out... Russian engines and putting in Ukrainian proven engines that have a, a proven track record of flight history. So it's all about reducing that technical risk at the end of the day for a safe, safe and successful rocket launch. That was the outset and what, what really got us started looking at that vehicle for sure for us. Um, as far as uh, you know, where we are today, you know, things are safe in Nipro, and, and the staff and the facility is fully operational. Uh, they're working on our first stage modifications right now. they are also working on an Antares launch vehicle, which does include Russian engines, believe it or not, at this at this point, and planning and working towards an August launch, I believe, for Antares. So that is still going on in the, in the, and we don't expect anything to change in that regard. It is... Certainly disheartening to see this invasion uh, by Russia in that country and, and what they're doing for the, for the people there. And, and we have a lot of, of uh, friends and colleagues there that we're very much worried about on a day in, day out basis and hoping for a, a, a near term end to that, that aggression. As it stands today, we're standing with our partners in Ukraine to bring this vehicle to bear. And we did mention in a news release here fairly recently that we are also going to bring in Reaction Dynamics, a Canadian launch vehicle based in Montreal that's in development uh, to do our suborbital and orbital launch uh, the, for those demonstration launches here next year. And, and that's a nice piece for us to allow things to play through uh, and get that heritage under our belt of flight heritage uh, with the Canadian launch vehicle as well while we're working on the rest of the site. Uh, for the Cyclone 4M and allow some of those those uh, pieces to kind of mature as far as the, you know, use, get, getting the Cyclone 4M here. From a logistics perspective, they've been delivering to the Vega for the last dozen years. They've been delivering, uh, they do the fourth stage propulsion system for that. Uh, they do, the, as I said, the first stage for Atari. So they're quite adept at getting the vehicles delivered and manufactured there and uh, delighted to have them as partners. And as far as, you know, being on the list uh, of, uh, of folks not invited to, to Russia, I, uh, I, I wear that as a badge of honor.
0: <laughs> I just want to follow up on this uh, issue because I, I would have thought that, uh, you know, uh, a satellite uh, uh, launched uh, company would be a high priority target for the Russians. Uh, do you have a secondary backup if that's, you know, that manufacturer is not available over the next, you know, Time. Um, we
2: certainly plan for contingencies. Is, is the best way to answer that. We hope not to have to execute those contingencies. You know, I can tell you that. Mm. You know, Reaction Dynamics has uh, several variants in their development plans. We've got an MOU with uh, one other company, two more in the pipeline as well. Uh, that also have variants that include medium class launchers. Um, you know that. You know, as, as I had mentioned earlier, that is a focus for us. That constellation market. And so there are vehicles that are in development and actually some that have some uh, fair flight uh, heritage to them already that we've been in, in communication with.
1: Steve, you will focus on low earth orbit launches. What types of customers are interested in that? Just as a curiosity, what types of, is it, is it the internet services or what, what types of customers use these low earth orbit satellites?
2: Oh Yeah, indeed. You know, the, the global broadband is a key one for sure uh, in the market, but there's also a lot of real, very interesting technology, synthetic aperture radar, hyperspectral imaging, etc. There's all kinds of remove and replacement of satellite uh, uh, developments underway. The NanoRacks piece where they're developing what's called an mission extension kit to take over the first stage after deployment and reusing it for other things in space. We're uh, working with them on potential collaboration on their space station initiative as well. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a lot in that low Earth orbit market. The, the science is really amazing uh, that, that people have come up with. The miniaturization of technology over the last 10 years is only going to go you look at some of the new constellations, even since that FCC uh, filing here, uh, Porsche released something here just a few weeks ago, about a three million, no, 3, 3 billion euro investment in a satellite constellation for remote control of vehicles. It's a whole nother opportunity, the whole internet of things and that data stream that's going to be required up and down and across and around the globe is what it's all about. And then... The whole piece that comes with maintaining and cleaning up orbits, uh, decommissioning satellites uh, and tracking satellites is also another very significant piece. There's there's companies in Canada that specialize in tracking stuff in space, uh, which is very much a key thing for industry too.
1: You talk about offering ride share options. I find that very interesting. Can you explain to our listeners what you mean by a ride share option and and the payroll payload limits associated with that?
2: Well, it'll vary from flight to flight, but with the medium class launcher, the cyclone forum, we can carry five tons to low earth orbit. Uh, we can also carry 3,350 kilograms to a sun synchronous orbit, higher orbit, different inclination, more energy to get there, right? So there's variations in your payload capacity. We've got a four meter diameter fairing on this. So if I have a satellite client that says, you know, I've got three or four satellites at total. Three tons, uh, and I've got 250 kilograms left. I can ride your those. I can coordinate with them and coordinate with the, uh, the mission integration companies that are out there, uh, such as Nanoracks that do mission integration to basically, uh, look at, uh, uh ride your packaging. Um, That, you know, there's a number of letters of intent we have with companies that do that for business as well. That's a lot of work to take a lot of CubeSats and pack them together. And that's not something we want to take on. So we're working with those satellite uh, integrators, basically, uh, to sell uh, certain portions of missions and indeed entire missions if if the, the draw is there.
0: Steve, I'm sure that you've uh, encountered a fair amount of skepticism around, along this road to build this spaceport. And, you know, especially for this uh, part of Nova Scotia, which is, you know, uh, really suffering economically. There's been big projects in the past that have not uh, materialized. I'm going to ask you a tough question here, maybe, or maybe it's not a tough question. You know, what is the probability that this will actually happen?
2: Um, I've had people in government, uh, people in the investment community across the board use the statement, this is not an if project, it's a when project. Uh, It's time. Back in the 60s with the Chapman Report, people misread that. Uh, when it talked to rocket launch, there was actually advocacy for small rocket launch capability in Canada back in the 60s. There was also some other important pieces in that Chapman report uh, that did come to pass, starting the Canadian Space Agency, starting a company of satellite companies, those sorts of things. But they missed that advocacy for a small launcher uh, and only read that part about let the U.S. do the large launchers because they were looking at equatorial launches, of course, and were pretty far north. Um, So it really made sense at that time uh, to really focus on equatorial launches from the U.S. Well, that day has changed. You know, we've got a significant capability here in Canada. Look at Space Canada's composition, uh, the the companies involved with Space Canada, uh, and the organizations that are tied in with that, you know, know, tell us that MDA, Sat, etc., and all the fantastic work that they're doing. We've We've only really grabbed a small portion of what we're capable of grabbing with this. Um, It's that collaboration with the Canadian Space Agency and Transport Canada, these satellite clients and customers and manufacturers here in in, uh, Canada at large, and this talent pool that we have. We're sending kids by the droves to the US, New Zealand, Australia, Europe, you name it, to work on these kinds of programs and where they could have opportunities to stay here so we've got all these tools, assets, and capabilities, and now we've got a location that the market really, really wants. Uh, so, um, you know, it is something that is an, uh, a when project, not an if project. And that when has certainly uh, picked up pace over the last 15 to 18 months uh, that I have a lot more fair confidence in in this thing happening. I will certainly admit to some, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, thinner days and, and with uh, you know top ramen and everything else at the start of this project to, to make things work. And my family moving up here with me four years ago is part of that that real commitment to make this thing happen. So we're we're here for the long. Time.
0: That sounds like a hundred percent to me, right, David?
1: <laughs> Pretty close, yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, just looking ahead, what are the greatest challenges that you face to ensuring the success of Spaceport Nova Scotia?
2: The, the there, there are like five major components to making this thing happen from, uh, if you look at it from a larger umbrella perspective, there's the regulatory component, there's a satellite community, uh, there's the finance community, there's the launch vehicle community, and then there's the spaceport itself, right? And all five of those things need to kind of work together in some sort of harmony and unison uh, to have them all come together at the same time. If one lags behind significantly, it could affect the overall success of the program. So it's really been about trying to keep all five of those pieces kind of in working in harmony and coming together uh, going forward to be able to make this all happen. It's a Project Management 101, I'm a project management professional by training as well as all the engineering background and stuff too. And that's a part of it is really getting all those pieces uh, uh, together and looking at all those integrated risks and how to move this thing forward. What I have found though is just this, this, this fantastic appetite. You know, it started with the community of Canso and migrated to the, to the leadership uh, in the province. And the federal government for this thing. Now the federal government is really looking at this thing as, a, as a, a all of government support with global affairs, Transport Canada, ICED, CSA, DND, all the acronyms you can think of. Right, are all part of making something like this happen. And it's really been that part that has been the most gratifying to me uh, to see this all all come together towards this this uh, future success.
1: Steve, our last question was about just that, your experience with the community of Kanso and other partners in your efforts to get this spaceport built. I think there might've been some concern that you would get pushback, but based on your comments, you've, you're, you're, you seem to be quite happy with the level of support from the local community in Kanso and other government and, and uh, partners. So do you just wanna sort of f- comment on that?
2: Yeah, sure. And- you know, I have an experience base that I came from. I worked at Spaceport America back in 2005, 2006. Uh, Richard Branson and then-governor Bill Richardson, my governor, uh, came up with his idea. And it was more of a top-down, we're doing this. We're building this. We're the 48th poorest state in the, in the nation. We're building a $225 million spaceport. And Richard Branson's going to build a rocket. And we're all going to sing Kumbaya. Life's going to be great. Um We never got above about a 50-50 support level when they went to do votes for gross receipts tax collection and those kinds of things. You never really got that real organic support. I learned that lesson early, and I brought it here, and I went to the community of Canso first. And it was really meeting with the lobster fishermen and meeting with the communities of Canso and really telling them what the ups and downs are with this thing. It was only through that embrace that I think uh, really made us move forward with this project so I, I really think that lesson learned is, is probably one of the key things going forward uh, that um, I think other people should learn as well uh, when they're if they're looking at trying to do this elsewhere
1: Steve thank you so much for joining us today on the insights podcast to provide the insight insight story about spaceport Nova Scotia we wish you success and we'll continue to follow your progress with uh, with great interest
2: I appreciate your time very much as well thank
0: you. Thanks, Steve. You've
1: been listening to the latest episode of the Huddle Insights
0: Podcast. Mark Legere helped produce this episode. You can follow the show and listen to past episodes on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend the show to a friend. Don and David will be back again next week.